All right, Cast Chasers, this is live. Well, not live. You're listening to it later on. But this was done live at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. Um, What a great experience that was. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you listening to it. What a great guest we have. Chris Morris, the man, the legend. Without further ado, pour a dram, settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast. All right, everybody. I'm here with Chris Morris. Uh, you really don't need an introduction, to be honest with you. But for the new people of the whiskey world, which we welcome, Chris is a, like I just said, a legend in his own right. Brown Foreman, uh, specifically, you may know him from Woodford Reserve, but he's been a, you've been a part of multiple industry, multiple members of the industry and multiple distilleries and been a big part of it right now, you know, master distiller, you're a maker, you're a creator. If I had to analogize here, if that's even a word, it, you're are you, you know, Woodford, would that be your Sistine Chapel? Is that, is that a good example? Or is there, is there, was there a bigger moment in your life that you consider your, uh, your opus, your 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 moment wow. where you thought that is the creation, that is the thing that I want to put my name on and stamp. Well, you're very kind. It's great to be with you. Um, that's almost a difficult concept to wrap your head around because some things have been more commercially successful than others, more widely distributed than others. While personally, some things that may have been a greater challenge and therefore a victory. Because some early on were overlooked, undervalued, mm. and maybe today they're a big deal. But um, having been fortunate to have a long career, I guess you could say there's been a lot of a lot of peaks, sure, and a lot of troughs. Yeah, I talk to a lot of distillers and a lot of makers and blenders and people in the industry. There's always this, yeah, this product is doing really well, like you just said, commercially. But there's always this one batch or this one moment of a spirit that maybe didn't climb to the top, but you felt like this represents me and who I am. And is it hard to differentiate between your babies, your your moments, your bottlings, your, you know, maybe this batch was special to you and then this batch, you know, is killing it in the market out there. Do, do you ever get heartbroken when you see something that you thought was so special to you, but batch A became better than that batch or whatever well the the one that sticks out of my mind that was the biggest disappointment of the time was our second wood reserve masters collection mm-hmm. release which was the wood reserve sonoma Contreras chardonnay finish the chardonnay finish and going back to 2006 2007 that's a long time ago now. Yeah. The bourbon boom had just begun, so I wouldn't even call it a boom. We started to see some sales gains as a as an industry. Uh, and then individual brands, of course, Woodford Reserve and growing from day one. But things were still pretty, pretty bleak. We didn't know a turnaround had occurred. And we were already innovating with Woodford Reserve. And looking at the single malt scotch industry as as the lodestone as the 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 star to follow because it was so prestigious at the time still is Mm -hmm. 
but they were being touted for their innovation. And literally, what little commentary there was on bourbon at the time was bourbon can't innovate. The standards of identity mm. are such that bourbon is in that proverbial corner. Mm. And scotch, look what scotch is doing. Sure. Madeira finish, port finish, sherry finish. Look at all the wonderful things scotch is doing. And I personally took that as a challenge. And we started to look at finishes. Said, well, let's do something different. Anybody can go in a port pipe or a sherry butt, mm. and it's going to taste good. But why is no one going in varietal barrels? Why yeah. is there no Zimmendel finish, Chardonnay finish, Cabernet Sauvignon finish? Why aren't there varietal wine finishes? Because they're very difficult to do, and a wine cask will spoil very easily. Mm. A port barrel port pipe is not going to spoil right fortified wine is not going to spoil so once the barrel has been emptied it's going to stay clean and by that i mean it's not going to become infected with a bacterial uh uh, condition wine spoil you know sure sure bottle of wine open overnight Uh, it's going to go bad so that was a real challenge and experimentation with multiple types of varietal wines from multiple vineyards and I decided we're going to do Chardonnay finish from the Sonoma Cotrere Vineyard. And that itself was a challenge, the whole process. And that's why it really has such a, a warm spot in my memory. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Because it was so hard. And different. And it comes out released. And there's only one real topical coverage of the industry at the time and that was the old malt advocate magazine Mm. and the editor and owner uh, we were close we were close and he gave it a scathing scathing 71 broke my heart and we were getting letters thank goodness there was no social media as there is today um how dare you do this? How can you put bourbon? How could you put wood preserve in a wine barrel? How can you call it bourbon? Yeah. How can you do this? And, well, it's not bourbon. We understand that. And that's why we want to break that bourbon can't be innovative because who cares if it says bourbon on the label or not? Right. It tastes great. Yeah. It's a wonderful product. I agree. Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in a California Chardonnay barrel. That was the technical description which was printed on the label. And we were hammered. What a shame. And now people who tasted it, will you do that again? Can you do that again? It's now become one of those unicorns. Yeah. And I tasted a bottle recently from our archive and reaffirmed that it was an absolutely delicious flavor profile I know of it I haven't had an opportunity to taste it but I am aware of it only 13,393 bottles right to the penny Um, but you see companies like Barrel and and other companies out there now and finishing secondary finishing you know is a trend if that's the right terminology and it's becoming more accepted because innovation is I think I think being challenged in a good way where there are there's a historic element to bourbon let's not you know your jim beams your woodford your you know your old foresters we want 
those classic, you know, the dusties of the world. We want to be able to experience that still. But there's also this thing where we want to see, and myself as a true whiskey fan, I like to see how an artist, how a distiller can play with a significant kind of barrel or flavor profile. Uh, Misanura, maybe, which is a difficult wood to work with. Or, as you said, you know, Zinfandels and things like that, which to me is, I would pay a blank check to uh, to try something interesting like that. Um, but I think at the, at the flip of the coin, Chris, it's, it's cool to see people that come from a very a very one-way world you know you're chris morris you're a you know a bourbon icon willing and anxious to do something outside the box and i'm going to be candid real quick and i want to hear what your thoughts on this we're here at the kentucky bourbon festival for the listeners you may hear a bunch of rumbling in the back it's a busy place right now uh chris just left uh, a stage presentation which was excellent um, so I'm, I'm bogarting his time and appreciative for who he is and, and willing to come over and talk to us at Media Row. But even the Kentucky Bourbon Festival itself, it's changed and evolved because the people of Kentucky, the people of Bardstown wanted it one way. And now you have people, you know, changing it and, and re- evolving it. And there's some anger with that. And, but at the same respect, you now have people flying in from Australia, flying in all over the world. Coming, myself, I'm from Delaware finding ourselves here because we want traditional bourbon but we also love innovation Haida, how would you pronounce this g-l-e-n-a-l-l-a-c-h-i-e i pronounce that delicious or glenallachy okay right single malt scotch whiskey from Speyside. Okay. The distillery's been around since 1967, but only available as a single malt since 2018. Uh-huh. And the whiskeys are designed by Billy Walker. What? Yeah. Talk to me more. Yeah, I know, because you, you have no idea who Billy Walker is. No. But the Cast Chasers podcast fan base do. Okay. He was the gentleman behind Glendronach Distillery, Ben Riach, Glenglassa. I should be excited right you now. You should be. If you're a whiskey fan, you should be super excited. Okay. Big, fruity, heavy, sherried whiskeys, just oh. glorious stuff. Okay. Yep, Glenallachy. That's okay. how you pronounce it. Okay, Glenallachy. Right. Glenallachy. Okay. Impex Beverages. Yes. Guess what we are? Uh, I don't know. Proud sponsors of the Cast Chasers podcast. Right. Yes. Yes, I, I remember the first bourbon festival in the 80s. And it was a one-evening event at my old Kentucky home, State Park, right down the road. And it was about 200 people. Mm. And it was outside, and it was very cold, even though it was September. We do have some cold nights in September. And um, didn't even think anything about it. This is the Bourbon Festival. It's like going out to dinner with 200 people, all of whom you know, because we were all in the industry. And it very quickly you got into a larger venue on the golf course at the at the state park with tents and things. But to see what it looks like today and go back then, it's pretty much like we were discussing how the industry has changed from nothing going on to all this excitement. Yeah, which I think is brilliant. What do? You, let me ask you a cheesy question. What is? What does bourbon mean? I'm gonna. It's two questions, and I think it may have two answers. 
what does bourbon mean to Kentucky? And then what does Kentucky bourbon mean to the, to the world, in your opinion? Well, that's an interesting question. Because I'll never forget, I was in Edinburgh, Scotland at a whiskey festival, early 90s. And uh, a little old woman came up to me. And she said, I'm a teetotaler. So my first thought was, why are you at this whiskey festival? <laughs> I'm a teetotaler. But I'm a Scot, and we are so proud of our Scotch whiskey. Mm. Why aren't you Americans as proud of your bourbon? Because at that time, we were still in our long-term decline phase. Mm. We're down to six whiskey companies in the country. Yeah. In the country. Brown Foreman had Jack and... And Old Forester, Seagram's had Four Roses in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. So all the distilleries were owned by six companies total. Things were looking pretty bleak. And I remember saying, ma'am, I can't, I can't answer that. I don't know why, with this historic industry and this high-quality product, why we aren't embraced by the country, much less Kentucky. We were still considered and described as a sin industry. Mm. And when you're a sin industry, that's not a good description. Sure, sure. And now we are not a sin industry in Kentucky. We are the signature industry of Kentucky. Hallelujah. So again, in 30 years, we've gone from condemnation, get out of the room, we don't want to talk to you, to, oh, can you help us? We have all the governors or all the citizens... Senate uh, uh, presidents from across the country come. Can you all do a tasting for them? We want to showcase <laughs> bourbon. Yeah. And that's that's reality. So the, the debacle of prohibition, you can get into all sorts of social, uh, cultural issues that have hindered mm. our, our reputation are too numerous to discuss. Right. And in some corners of the country, they're still there. Sure. But thank goodness we've been embraced by not only Kentuckians again, Americans, and around the world. Yeah. So things are looking looking up. I think so. I Well, again, I, I, I talked about people from all over the world coming here. I mean, it, it, just from a social media point of view, you know, Australia, they love bourbon. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're yeah. huge bourbon fans. Um, there are groups near me. I'm in Delaware and the Maryland and New York and all those areas. Huge bourbon groups. You know, bourbon, American whiskey is really just. I stayed at an Airbnb um, in, um, where was I at? Oh, in uh, Duck, North Carolina. Uh-huh. Stayed at an Airbnb in Duck, North Carolina. We had already talked to you on, uh, on Facebook Live uh, about a year or so prior. And uh, we got into the Airbnb, and there was a huge, um, you know, decorative bottle on the mantle. I mean, this thing was pretty good, big, good size. I'd say three foot by three foot of Woodford Reserve, huh. I, um, just decorative, you know, yeah. and sitting on the. And uh, I took a picture with it and everything. But I sat there and I thought, I haven't picked out my whiskey for you know this trip yet. It's going to be Woodford. Um, but I had so much appreciation to find, you know, a knickknack, yes. if you will, sitting on a mantle in, in, you know, North Carolina on an island. And it, it helped me 
more so than any of the interviews I've ever done, that little moment to appreciate where we're at in this world. Chris, you've been with the industry long enough. I'm not going to age you because I know in your early 20s now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, what was the moment when you knew bourbon had its step back? When did you know we were welcome back to the dance? What, do you have a time? Was there a, was there a special moment or a year that you said, this yes. is it? Yes, it was in the hard to pinpoint the exact date, but late 80s, early 90s, when growing up, my mom and dad had three books on bourbon at the home library, and they'd all been written 30, 40 years Mm. before. Gerald Carson's social history of bourbon, of bluegrass bills, and bourbon, and nothing better on the market, the history of Old Forester. Um, and all of a sudden, some journalists call. Said, we, we're writing a book on American whiskey. We're writing a book on bourbon. And it wasn't just one journalist. It was numerous journalists. Like, wow, somebody's going to write a book <laughs> on us, on the industry? Way Mike and Harris... Gary and Marty Regan all of a sudden mm. and they're interested in your distillery and they want to talk to you and they you know gee just like Charlie McLean and Michael Jackson are doing for Scotch Whiskey which yeah. had inspired these individuals sure and that's when I first had a glimpse of oh somebody's interested in us yeah and uh, then the Malt Advocate magazine is uh first starts publishing in the in the 90s early 90s and it's about malt so it's going to be about beer and whiskey they quickly quit writing about beer because whiskey seems to be the thing to write about yeah uh and off we go and then the first whiskey fest of course the bourbon festivals we already know that it had begun but now whiskey fest in new york in philadelphia you know, in Dallas, wow. Yeah. And things just started picking up momentum. Yeah. Uh, but it was those early visits from journalists that That's started incredible. spreading the word. They and, became evangelists. And now you have your, you know, good good guy, love him to death, your Fred Minix, your, you know, Cast Chasers podcast, you know, these, which is, you know, kudos to us, I guess, a little wink at myself. But we're covering this growth and this momentum and we ask ourselves all the time you know we lost bourbon we lost whiskey for a while we're back is the uh, is the shoe going to drop and then you see things like the cocktail you know uh movement coming up and you know people and chefs you know looking at whiskey looking at bourbon and saying this is an ingredient now this is a special you know product made by masters and now I see resurrections of old cocktails, your paper planes, one of my favorites and yes. things like that. The old fashioned becoming not so old fashioned anymore and, and changing in itself. You know, people are using things like uh, I saw, you know, Earl Grey bitters uh, or Aztec chocolate or whatever. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. the great stuff. And our cameraman, um, a man I love to death, um, he experienced his first appreciation for bourbon last night over you know he said pick something help me get into the world of whiskey and i went with an old-fashioned because i felt like you know neat might have been a little too aggressive Uh at the time but i 
I'm in love with this industry. And Chris, I have to say, and I know I'm placating a lot to you, but you are one of the ones that I think made it where it is today. You got us here. And you got us here because even when it's cool that it's cool now, it's cool that you know, 9,000 people and there's a bourbon festival and there's a, you know, bourbon beyond the music festival and all these, it's great. And Instagrammers and everything else. And the younger people are coming up, but you and people like you, you know, the, the nose, you know, that whole family legacy, um, you know, uh, Wes over at angels envy, you know, who just stepped aside, you know, all these great people were also there when it wasn't there. And still continue to go to work and you still put your heart soul and passion into that product almost as if the door is going to open eventually and when it does this needs to be as perfect as it can be and Chris I absolutely appreciate you oh. for that and, and the fact that we're here today talking is very evidence of that yeah, so thank yeah, you so yeah. much um, that's you know I'm not going to take too much of your time because I respect how busy and uh, how important you are in a special event like this, and there's other people that want to talk to you. Um, thank you so much. But can I, I'm going to ask you one more question, yes, and yes. I want you to, to kind of you know, you know, put as much thought in, in, into it as you can. We asked about what Kentucky means to bourbon, and bourbon means to the world. What does Kentucky bourbon mean to Kentuckians specifically? Well, those who are aware of our industry's history can't help but realize that Kentucky bourbon and the history of Kentucky reflect the very foundation of the Commonwealth, the culture, the beliefs of the people who risked their lives in the 1770s to carve a life out of this hostile environment, this wilderness. And we grew up together. Yeah. And this state abandoned bourbon, parts of the state abandoned bourbon with the temperance movement and prohibition. And now, as we know, it's embracing it again. But bourbon is Kentucky. It truly is. That's emotional. Um, before I my eyes start watering up, because they will, um, I just want to thank you so much, Chris, for being a part of this. Thank my you. friend, um, keep making gold and keep passing that torch down, and I'll keep drinking and buying it and pushing it like it's the gospel, which in my opinion it is. Uh, everybody, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen out there, Chris Morris, uh, for your pleasure. Um, the master himself. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thanks. All right, Cast Chasers. Well, that was the show. Hope you enjoyed Chris Morris. Wow, what a uh, what an incredible guest, an incredible human being. You can follow us at Instagram. You can uh, follow us on Facebook, or you can just follow us, you know, in in person if you find us out on the street. Just follow us around. Anyway, we look forward to hanging out with you in the future, and hopefully, you check out some of our shows. This was number who knows, but you can start from the beginning or you can start now or you can start right in the middle. It doesn't really matter to me. I just want you to listen and enjoy. Cheers. Um, Before I let you go, remember, it's not about finding the perfect tram. It's all in the chase.